you and welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today, we are talking about Imagine Me and You with Jenna Wogenrich. I am one of your hosts, Alex Steed, and I will soon be joined by my marvelous co-host, Sarah Marshall. Imagine Me and You is a 2005 romantic comedy drama film written and directed by Al Parker. It stars Piper Perabo and Lena Headey. It centers on the relationship between Rachel and Luce, who meet on Rachel's wedding day. It's fun. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but we had a lot of fun with this movie. And uh, we loved talking about it with Jenna, who is a homesteader and a farmer and an author of several books and a newsletter called Cold Antler Farm. So hopefully, if you are uh, moved by this conversation with Jenna, you will uh, check out her books and her newsletter. You are good if you are new to the show. It's a feelings podcast about movies. So here's what that means. We are not critics, though occasionally we're critical of movies. Really, we are people who are watching this movie and saying, here are the various lights that this movie shined on my experience of being a human. That's what we're doing here. That's what we do at You Are Good. So hopefully that is something you'll enjoy doing with us if you are new to this whole adventure. If you're not, you know how it works. Thanks for hanging with us through this reminder. How are you doing? How's it going in your world? What's going on? Tell us what's up in your head, in your heart, in your mind. Uh, what have you been watching? What have you been reading? What have you been doing? What is, uh, what's brewing in you? You can find us on various social medias, on various socials media at You Are Good or You Are Good Pod over on uh, Reels. On Instagram, we post some videos that uh, that come from what we talk about on the show. They're, those are all edited by our great friend, Alyssa Anafrio. Alyssa does a great job in that department. I'm very happy to be working with Alyssa on those. And I post some of those on my own TikTok at Alex Steed. But we're, we're all over the place. We're on the various socials. You can find us there. You can let us know what's going on. And whether or not we hear from you in the near future, uh, please don't forget that you, my friend, are good. What's up, Tony boy? What's going on, Bubba? Good boy. I talked to Tony like he's a small dog. You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies, is made possible with and by your support. Thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon and Apple Podcast subscriptions. We are able to make this show because of you. Thank you so much for making it possible. In exchange, you get bonus episodes. This month, we have a bonus episode. What's up, Bubba? <laughs> <laughs> This month, we have a bonus episode uh, coming out about Lars and the Real Girl. Very fun conversation. We cover all sorts of things in that chat, and I think it is one you will enjoy. So thank you for supporting the show, and uh, I hope that you enjoy those bonus episodes. If you, like me, are someone who is an enthusiastic supporter of uh, calling for a ceasefire, I hope that you will get involved in actions in your community. And if you have resources to share, uh, the Palestine Children's Relief Fund is a great place to start. There is a lot of need in that arena, and uh, it's a good place to look into. And then keep looking for other ways to share what you are able to share. All right. I think that's it for this introduction to Imagine Me and You. Let's get into it. Let's talk about this soothing, lesbianic, romantic comedy <laughs> from the middle aughts. <laughs> this was a blast. You're about to have some fun. Hello, Sarah Marshall. You're a wanker number nine, Alex Steed. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to, how to say hello in lesbian, um, but yours is better. Yeah, that's how you do it. How are you doing this fine evening? We don't typically record no. afternoon. It would be hubristic to do so. I'm great, though. <laughs> I planted some potatoes. Ooh. Which I doesn't it feel like a crazy like five minute crafts life hack to be like, Cut up potatoes and put them in dirt. In many months, you will have more potatoes. You're like, come on, that's not true. Totally. Sarah. Yes. Speaking of potatoes. Speaking of potatoes, here we are with my friend, Farmer Jenna. Jenna, how are you? Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I, I'm a solid medium working towards good. It was a, it's been a long day, but a good one. 
How many animals are within a 12 foot radius of you right now? Um, there's one within a two inch radius of me at this exact moment, um, my dog, but um, a solid five. Because mm. you were when we were talking about you coming on the show, which I'm extremely excited about because you're one of my favorite people to talk to. So now we get to bring our fireside conversations to a captive audience, you were like, I'm just worried about the bird of prey noises in the background. And I was like, that's fine. I'm fine with that. Everyone's always saying that when they come. They the are. Show. Yeah. James Conn is outside in his apartment. He's outside. And who is James Conn? James Conn is my red tail hawk, <laughs> which you named, by the way. I like to think that I, I had a, a subtle hand. in. The- <laughs> yeah, we were watching The Godfather on a lazy morning with our coffee and yeah, I had yet to name the bird. And I always I usually name the birds after actors or actresses. So James Kahn just felt right. I mostly call him James, though. That's so lovely. Yeah. And he's, I would say, a um, hubristic and pugnacious young male. So it just <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think if human James Kahn had talents, he would he would rock him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he would sit on your wrist while you watched Sex in the City if if he could. Dare to dream. He has the vibe of a person who has talent. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're hidden somewhere in his chest hair. He carries himself like that. <laughs> to have that level of confidence, talent, confidence. Well, Sarah, uh, uh, Sarah and Jenna, how do you two know each other? Jenna, I understand that it was a busy day at the farm. Tell us, tell us about what you do. Oh, hi, everybody. Um, I am a an author and a writer and a farmer, and I've been doing that for a little over a decade here in upstate New York. I mostly focus on raising pork and lamb and occasionally chicken and some other stuff. And it's a small homestead uh, with a little customer base here tucked into a side of a mountain. And Sarah and I met after I've written a couple of books. And I think I met you at this sweet spot of post Tanya Harding article mm-hmm. pre you're wrong about. That's true. Wow. So I have two amazing Sarah memories I should share with your with your listeners. But Please. one of them, one of my favorites is you being like, I listen, me and my friend started this podcast. You want to hear it? And in my living room, you started playing. It was the Exxon episode because I guess recorded it in the parking lot of a Dunkin Donuts in Vermont. <laughs> a classic. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, I don't know. I think we're going places with this. And you sure did. Yeah. So we know each other for a couple of years and you've come to the farm for various times of respite or hanging out or sometimes you farms at my friend Patty's place. So you're familiar with this little corner of the world. It's a very special place. And I have been thinking about Patty's farm recently because there's something she did that I'm curious if she still does. I, it makes sense to me as a system to keep in place where she had this like stock tank of water for her horses that had like koi in it because the koi keep the algae out and like keep it from freezing and the horses just don't bother the fish. And I was like, that's how we should set up our lives, (laughs) you know, just find the like horse water koi of it all and these systems that support each other. Yeah. There's not much better to strive for, but yeah, there's a lot of multi-species systems going on around here. (laughs) Keeps things interesting. It's a great place. Yeah. Yeah. And Jenna, what's your relationship with imagine me and you? Imagine Me and You is a movie that I should have seen when it came out in, I believe Mm -hmm. it came out in 2006 in the United States. It's a British rom-com. Boy, this, this movie is definitely the like hot slice of apple pie with like grocery store vanilla melting on top of it of rom-coms. This is (laughs) not, there's nothing incredibly deep or like earth shattering other than the fact that it was written for, I believe the original the original script was for a heterosexual couple. Really? Wow. That would have been so boring. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The writer and director, um, a gentleman named, I believe, Oliver Park. He's the same guy who wrote and directed Mamma Mia, This Time It's Personal. What's the sequel to Mamma Mia? Oh, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. <laughs> One of the best movies ever made. I like Mamma Mia, This Time It's Personal. <laughs> Mamma Mia, First Blood. <laughs> first Blood. That's fabulous. Mamma Mia 2, Judgment Day. <laughs> <laughs> just Meryl Streep's going into the water with her one thumb yeah <laughs> singing my love my life the whole time yeah oh yeah. my god so I fell in love with this movie and the reason was I wish I had seen it at that time in my life I wish I saw it right out of college I was 
like just set loose in the world. I had graduated with a design degree. I was working for a television network. I was really excited to be a part of like the grown up world. And had I seen Imagine Me and You, it could have like saved me 15 years. <laughs> like, like it, it took, it would have helped me come out a lot sooner. I, I'm one of those women who've come out later in life in my, I came out like publicly in my like mid thirties. So imagine that yeah. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. It's a thing. Yeah. It's like people are realizing they can order off the in-flight menu, but <laughs> I, it's just been a delightful experience watching these movies. I wish I experienced in my actual young adulthood going through the second adolescence of finally being able to yeah. have crushes and date the right people. And it's such a cozy fairy tale of a movie, the whole premise and I'm such a sucker for anything involving true love. So I've watched this movie. It's probably been on in the background and been a part of my life for the past seven years. I've I probably saw this movie 20 times. I probably sat down and watched the whole thing from beginning to end four of those 20 times. And you know how some movies become that? They become like the background of your life. This is one that... Totally. Oh, yeah. Sure. That's how I feel about Julie and Julia. Yeah. You got movies that just like, they become like, you know, the burdock to your wool sweater. They're just going to be there with you. They're holding on, you know? Yes. It took me a second to put that metaphor together. And then I was like, yeah, right. Oh, but yeah. Um, the Velcro to your Velcro. I don't know. This right. Stick with the you. Velcro to your other Velcro. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that this movie, you know, I hadn't watched this since about when it was originally out, when I watched it with uh, one of my best friends from growing up who was a huge lesbian. And so if there's a lesbian movie that came up between 2003 and 2009, we probably watched it together. Like, I mean, she was like a lesbian on, on a semi-professional level in some way, you know, <laughs> which is just a wonderful force in your life. She's proud. She's proud. Yeah. Um, That's lovely. What an aspirational career. <laughs> totally. And that this movie was so... You know, I was really struck by it at the time and struck by it now where I, it's just like such a simple, frothy, meaningless rom-com, which is so refreshing, especially when most lesbian movies are about like staring at each other meaningfully fucking once and then dying. I know. Yeah, for sure. Like a salmon. <laughs> I like and we'll, we'll get into it. But I, what I really enjoy about this movie is how I don't know if it's it's just like it's Britishness, mm -hmm. but the things like realizing that you're that you are eventually very soon going to have a big change in your life and your change is going to lead to a big change in someone else's life. Mm -hmm. There is kind of a like, you know, follow your heart, do the thing. But the energy level of it is like a three out of ten. Yeah. And I kind of love that choice wise. They're just like, let's get in the car. And do the right thing. It's very English. It's the bake-off of rom-coms. Yes! <laughs> oh my god, it is! The tension is always at like a, th a three, exactly like Alex said. Yeah, I'm not here to talk about amazing cinema. I'm not here to talk to you about amazing acting. I'm not even here to talk to you about a mediocre movie. I'm here to talk to you about... <laughs> comfort ladies and gentlemen i'm here to talk to you about all right jesse Jackson. yeah it's just we're here to learn about this is medicine this movie has been put on when i've just had a horrible day and i'm like i want to see two straight women fall in love you know on screen it'll be lovely and it always is i want to see two nearly identical oh god <laughs> women fall i can't in love. wait if you have face blindness and you try to watch this movie, God help you. It is a choice. Same body type, same hair, same wardrobe, same height. You're right. You're right. But I saw it post Game of Thrones. So I'm like, oh my God, it's Cersei Lannister. Is one of those people from Game of Thrones? Yes. The Lucy, who's the florist, played Cersei Lannister in Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. As a grown woman. Yeah, yeah. totally. She looks uh, very different, but I see it now. Yeah. Yeah. She's got some range. Totally. She can... Ruin inventory. And then, of course, we have in the other role, Piper Parabo, star Alex. I know you haven't seen this one yet of the tragic prep school <laughs> lesbian teen movie Lost and Delirious, I've where she checks either. herself off a building. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and everyone in the school watches her do it. They're like, yep, off you fuck. <laughs> 
Well, that said, Sarah, <laughs> yes. do you want to walk us through this flower shop of a plot? God damn, do I. Okay, so Imagine <laughs> Me and You is about Piper Parabo doing a Bridget Jones, who is marrying Matthew Good, a guy who wasn't in coupling, but feels like he was in coupling. <laughs> <laughs> and so we open on their wedding day. Her dad is Giles from Buffy. Her mom is Una Alkenbury. I feel like if these names are resonating for you, you are Sarah's mom. <laughs> my mom doesn't know who either of those people are, actually. Okay. But you know who my mom does know who it is in this movie is Lena Hattie's mom's character, who's played by Sue Johnston, who is in Waking the Dead. <laughs> A really good show about an English cold case unit led by Trevor Eve. Don't know who that is. Too bad. And so at the wedding, who should be there but Lena Hetty playing Luce, the florist, who's just like, hey, I'm wearing fingerless gloves. <laughs> it's 2005. Like, the, the fashion is atrocious. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cute. She's She looks like the artful Dodger a little bit in this movie. I can't explain why, but that's her vibe. It's the hats. The hats. It's those like, it's like those beanies with the brim. Remember that moment? <laughs> Remember? <Yes. It's> like... <laughs> Yeah, it's like the Andy and the Devil Wears Prada wearing the like, her giant plaid newsboy cap. Fantastic. I just want to say a couple, just so we know, since this is like filmed in 2005, it came out in 2006 or what, what I just want to say a couple of things that are happening in 2005 music mm-hmm. wise, just to put people in the mood. Kanye West's Gold Digger is out. Mm, that's true. Like that's what's on the radio right now. Uh, that big Fallout Boy song that was on forever. That's what's happening right now in the background of this movie. It's never on the movie because it's a British movie, but that's what we're dealing with at the time. Girls are wearing fingerless gloves. They're introducing themselves to everyone at the wedding. Yeah. Can you ask your florist to get your wedding ring out of a punch bowl at you're like, will they be ready on standby? Right. Absolutely. And she's like, I will shove my fist in that. I will get your wedding ring up. Yeah. You need shit done at a wedding. You can call a lesbian. Well, you got to pick a pocket or two. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're at that where it's, I love it. <laughs> so yeah, they have this meet cute where Luce fishes Piper Parabo's wedding ring out of the punch bowl. And then Piper Parabo and Matthew not on coupling. He was also in Leap Year. Are like, ooh, we should set Luce up with our tall friend who was on Veep. That's all I can help you with. Are you talking about Cooper? Like the, the dirtbag guy? Yeah, Cooper. Yeah. Cooper the dirtbag. Yeah. He's cool as long as he's trying to fuck you. And then when that's not on the table, mm-hmm. not cool anymore. Whoops. I always saw him as opposite of like Hex character is supposed to be mm-hmm. so wholesome, which is something I will give this movie credit for. It's so easy in a movie like this where someone's leaving a partner for someone else that it's easier on the whole audience if the partner they're leaving is a piece of shit, but it turns out he's just an overall nice guy with jam-making dreams. I know! <laughs> I kind of love that. The men in this movie are incredibly sweet. Yeah. Anthony Head, in the movie, he's kind of playing like a like a doddering, almost, version of Giles. Yeah. It's like, what had magic not existed or vampires didn't exist, this could have been Giles' future. <laughs> you know? So thank goodness Aww. for Hellmouths. Yeah. <laughs> To give him a sense of purpose. But yeah, the men in this movie are incredibly... There's, I mean, I mean, even the sleazy guys, like, um, I think the sleaziest guy in the movie is Good's boss, the guy who yeah. literally hits on his co-worker's wife at the wedding. The guy where you're like, is that Rufus Sewell or just some guy who seems like Rufus Sewell? It doesn't matter. But yeah, I mean, this movie really feels to me like kind of diet Richard Curtis. <laughs> That's correct. And it, right. And I would put it in in terms of quality right between Love Actually and Notting Hill, you know, because I think Notting Hill has substance and Love Actually is more like, I know what Americans will watch <laughs> over and over. I know it's popular to hate Love Actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do. I love and hate it. I think it's really stupid, but I also always really enjoy it. I don't like I could watch it and not be like sort of turned on. Just the only thing that Love Actually, if you told me right now confidently that Love Actually is three hours and 20 minutes, I'd believe you. Right. I think the first cut was. Yeah. It could use editing. You just keep going. And this movie, Cool 136. Yes. 
and we appreciate it. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> it's actually 129. Oh, just seven minutes of credits. <laughs> yeah. That is a dream. When I see a movie and I put it on and I know that I can sit down for the whole thing without having to like get up for any needs of the mind, body or soul. Like there's not an intermission that's required to get through it. It's a real treat. There's not a like surprise twist and then the real twist. It's just (laughs) yes, bing, bang, boom. We're done. I love it. It's like the Matthew McConaughey movie Serenity where you're like, okay, I feel like I know where this plot's going. But surely there will be more to it. And then you're like, no, I anticipated the whole thing. It's perfect. (laughs) Thank you. I feel safe. Sometimes movies be like that. This is uh, also, Jenna, what you would call a movie ass movie. Yes, it's this is this is 100 percent a movie ass movie. And what does that terminology mean? A movie ass movie is a movie that deserves to be forever embedded in our brain is like one of those VHS tapes at Blockbuster. Like it's 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 both like ambiguous and a wholesome unit in itself. It is, there's all the right cliches, all the right tropes. You could literally finish the script while watching it. There's not going to be a surprise (laughs) twist ending. The the twist in this movie is that the white straight guy still lands on his feet. Like, I think that was like an unnecessary concession. Yeah. I feel like that tested a little bit iffily, you know, with certain men and they were like, okay, we'll put in a little Matthew Good thing at the end there. Yeah, I kind of felt, I, that felt weird, right? Yeah. That we were like, oh good, he's going to be fine. That was a result of test audiences, I would bet. <laughs> it's And it's like, we can't take it on faith. We have to see him being fine. I was like, it's so nice that he kissed her in the head and was like, you gotta go. Like, I was like, what? A, what that's so nice. And then I was like, oh, we're back with him. It's like if they did a reshoot for... Sleepless in Seattle, where like in the credits, they have a post-credit sequence where they show Walter (laughs) on a train to the Grand Canyon. And then they bring in like Christy Brinkley and seat her next to him. And she's like on her way to a Nymphomaniacs conference. (laughs) Fantastic. Couldn't have written it better myself. (laughs) That's the new end. It's canon. Nora Ephron found dad in a dick. (laughs) (laughs) I thought like you were just talking about that scene where he like basically kisses her on the forehead and gives him his bless, like hair or his, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Well, he's, there's this great scene where, well, not great scene, but there's this moment where Hack like holds Piper's head and is like, what you're feeling now is the unstoppable force. I know. I love that. But she didn't, she wasn't there for that explanation in the beginning. That was, that's a great like, point. She doesn't get that joke. Yeah. Like, well, I guess she was like taking off her nylons at one point was like, you know, it reminds me of what Lou said about physics. That I heard about from my little sister, <laughs> who's in this movie. I We also have, as we talked about in 500 Days of Summer recently, a freelance child advising <laughs> adults on their love lives. A favorite trip. Yeah, that kid just wanders around and shows up in whatever scene is necessary. She, it's like That child has the ability to teleport. Yeah, and you're like, why are you here? And she's like, my parents are Rupert Giles and Una <laughs> Alkenbury. I can go wherever I want. <laughs> And they fucking hate each other. <laughs> they do. And I don't know if the director was trying to be like, well, this could be your future, a miserable muddling through a heterosexual relationship. But it's, it seems kind of unfair to like compare a partnership of like convenience. But I mean, did you see their house? They have a gorgeous life. It is nice. Everyone has a great house, which is a very important part of rom-coms. I think. Yeah. Sorry, Sarah, we derailed you uh, pretty intensely. Where did we leave off? Well, so, you know, meet cute at the wedding. Oh, my. Piper Parabo has feelings. What's her character's name? Who ca- Rachel. Who cares? Um, and then uh, she and her husband invite Luce over for dinner where they try and set her up with Cooper and they talk about love and Rachel's they're like explaining love to Cooper, a 31 year old man. And Rachel's like, well, you know, it's like something that starts gradually and grows because I'm married to someone who's like my best friend. And Luce is like, I disagree. It should be something that hits you like a truck out of nowhere. It's not her exact phrasing, but it's my phrasing. And so it's like, gets a gets a little hated vibes, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Something's going on with the girls. The sparks are flying. And... Jenna, I feel like you can take us through the movie faster than I can. What are what what happens? Are you comfortable? Do you want to? Yeah, wanna sure. Take this for me. Yeah. So we're really about. So they spend a lot of time flirting and going on these weird borderline platonic, borderline flirty, then just flirty dates with like this out of pocket shit being done by a straight woman who 
is like asking her lesbian friend to put her arms around her and help with her vocal stylings. And right. I think at one point she leans in to make the first move at some point before like a mm-hmm. car passes or something. There's a lot of grazing. There's a lot of grazing. There's a lot of grazing. There's at least three full grazes. Yeah, they go to a football <laughs> match where Lena Headey teaches Piper Parabo how to heckle soccer players by using her diaphragm, which is so great. Because she's got to put her hands on her diaphragm. Yeah. Well, there's just oh, a yeah. way to teach things. And sometimes hands-on is the best approach. But yeah. That's what friends do. So they flirt and they hang out to the point where this is the most lesbian part of this movie. There's a scene where they just can't take it anymore. And the straight woman runs into the, flo- the florist place. And there's an inevitable argument slash make out scene. Spoiler alert. They make out atop a bed of roses. Yes. <laughs> They roll about on a bed of roses. That's someone's wedding order. Oh, good point. God. That's a fucking lot of money. Yeah, so that's serious. I feel like if you're willing to crush a couple grand in inventory. It's real. That's love. Yeah. So much inventory. Yeah. Yeah, so they make out. So I'm sorry to interrupt No, you. no, that's it. And so they make out and then at that point it's we have half an hour left in the movie. We don't get that kiss until there's like practically. Yeah. We're, we're, that's the beginning of act three. Well, that's the Lizzie and Darcy way, you know. That's correct. And there's the hemming and hawing of her having the convenience of basically like admitting to her husband she's in love with someone else while he's fake asleep on a couch. This movie goes out of its way to make sure the most uncomfortable parts of the story are basically like couched in the most like down pillow kind of like exposition and and transitions it's just like oh i was this movie feels like it was directed by a hugh grant character you know where the movie's demeanor is like oh i'm terribly sorry but we are going to have to have a bit of a breakup scene well that's what i want as a british rom-com right you don't want people screaming at each other no that's what you watch a mike lee film for (laughs) so yeah so they they fall in love and the guy gets it and there's a whole breakup scene over a birthday cake that's very uncomfortable and i found house yeah and then we get the like rush to the airport scene at the end little teaspoon of notting hill it's, it's much like notting hill where yes. everyone gets in the car at the end to that. beat traffic and talk to the girl that's where we get the namesake of the movie some random messenger is on a bike singing the 1967 turtles hit imagine me and you which um I did not know it was by the Turtles until I looked this up. It's embarrassing who I thought that song was by. So Who'd you think? It's not embarrassing because I didn't know it was a Turtles song. Did you think it was by the Beatles? Yes, I thought it was by the Beatles. No. Totally. That's not embarrassing. All like acid rock to me yeah. sounds like the same kind of holding They're in. even both an animal with tolls at the end. Yeah. I mean, they wanted you to think that, the Turtles. I just, I really did. So I looked it up today. (laughs) There's no accounting for what songs people did or didn't do. I think we all probably have one song that we were completely convinced was by somebody extremely different than who did it. (laughs) And it's none of our business, frankly. I learn once every few months that someone I was convinced Mm -hmm. did this thing, did another thing. I, all the time. Yeah, that's part of fun. We're learning about life together. I was just doing a bonus episode of you rang about with Eve Lindley about Britney Spears, where obviously the phrase denim wedding came up. Her and Justin. Right. Yeah. Which wasn't a wedding, but, you know, we talked about it, how it feels like a wedding. And I was like, you know, Eve, like at this point, I learn something new every day that I feel like I should have known for the past 30 years. So if you <laughs> confidently were like, yeah, haven't you ever been to a denim wedding? You know, <laughs> denim weddings. You've been to a denim wedding. Can you not picture that picture of Brittany and Justin like on a like a fold and tear Valentine's Day card for school? Yeah, it'd be beautiful. That moment. It would be beautiful. I can see it. A really frilly one. Yeah. You know, denim weddings. It's like denim chicken. <laughs> exactly. So they, that's the whole movie. So that's the movie. They do end up together. Well, and then they, <laughs> they end up in this great scene where they're like stuck in traffic. And Piper Parapo is trying to reach Luz, who's not picking up her phone. And then she gets to like climb on top of the car and project her voice and go, you're a wanker number nine. And then Luce also gets on top of the cab she's in, which I can't believe she didn't get screamed at for that. She also doesn't pay. She just leaves. What? <laughs> doesn't she? I like to think that Luce pays when we weren't looking. All right. Let's hope so. It was edited out. <laughs> but... But yeah, we got to have this great dramatic scene and then just like 
it's a happy ending. It's a lesbian happy ending. Possibly not the first time that happened, but I don't know. I think what I, it, because watching this again, I was like, not to put too fine a point on it, queer people deserve stupid media, you know? That I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Name three happy right. lesbian movies. Yeah, I can think this, Debs. Right. Which is like close to around the same. And then like another one, I don't know, the car itself in Thelma and Louise. Like there's not a lot of like. <laughs> that car didn't end up happy either. <laughs> no, it didn't. No. <laughs> but like I, there's just not a lot. Like, it's just it's a real cliche. Like a lot of queer movies is like someone in a bonnet looking across a room at someone they can't touch without burning in hell. And it's to that point, it's not even like even the most uncomfortable part of this movie, which is like blowing up. Even if you know you're in the wrong thing, right? You don't want to hurt the people you have to hurt in order to get like, there's so many things. And it's just like, hey, I got to get out. And then he's like, oh, and that's it. That's the whole <laughs> tension. Hey. <laughs> and then they even the set our minds at ease for no reason. And are like, guess what? He fucks on a plane. And that's great. <laughs> yeah. Why is that woman next to him so eager? He's such a dweeb. I don't I think they just want to be like, don't worry, audience. The straight white man will be okay. He will land on his feet. He is going to write his travel book. Yeah, so that the men in the theatrical audience don't start screaming when the end credits hit. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't even I don't really acknowledge that as canon. I um <laughs> I don't. But I do here's something I would like to ask you guys. Mm. Do you believe in love at first sight? <sighs> that is a topic brought up several times in this movie it's interesting i well i do but i also believe in love by arranged marriage you know (laughs) where like i think you can like meet someone and have this instant attraction and infatuation to them and that can end up being like a really lasting kind of soulmate connection or you can meet someone have instant attraction and fascination with them and they can murder you you know (laughs) or you can like gradually fall in love with someone and they can turn become your soulmate or you can meet someone and not like them and start a relationship and just never like them. I think all things are possible. Yeah, the love at first sight thing for me, it's like I don't believe it specifically because it's just not enough data. Like I would believe love at first paragraph. Mm. But like if you're doing love at first sight, what you're doing is you're taking in visual data and then mapping that on top of a shitload of presuppositions and ideas and ideals and symbols and stuff that exists within you. And again, like a paragraph, like have some sort of exchange, look in each other's eyes for two minutes like that. I can get, but like love at first sight for some reason, something about it makes me scared on the behalf of whoever convinces themselves that it's happening. Oh, and anyone can fall in love through sustained eye contact. That happened to me in acting (laughs) class. (laughs) What is your take, Jenna? I'm sorry to just be like, now. <laughs> no, I I do believe in love at first sight, but I think mm-hmm. it's very. All right. I do not think in the moment of seeing someone the first time you're falling in love, mm. not consciously. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at the person you love the most in the world, and I'm talking about like a romantic love. Sure. You can probably remember the first time you saw that person. Yeah. Maybe the moment you are seeing them, mm-hmm. it wasn't quote unquote love at first sight. But I think if you're. Like if I think about the people in my past that I've been in love with, I can mm-hmm. remember those first moments of seeing them and actually seeing them. So I think there's beauty to it. But I think that mm-hmm. people confuse lust at first sight, infatuation at first sight, intrigue at first sight, regret at first sight, whatever. I think people can look for a lot of escapes and emotions in other people. But listening to you, Alex, talk about like how much data are you getting, like data, how are you getting from having like a glance at someone? And the question is either like that glance is apparently all you need or it's just, I don't know, just your human reaction to another animal. But I want to believe in love at first sight. I want to believe it. It sounds very poetic. Life's a lot of misery and trauma and the idea that any second you- (laughs) I've noticed. You know what I mean? But the idea that you could walk (laughs) into like a Cinnabon line and that you could turn around and there's the love of your life, like, or anywhere really. I just use Cinnabon to think of a place that we could be standing in a line with random people. But (laughs) is that even a thing anymore? Oh yeah. Oh no. It's yeah. There will be Cinnabon for as long as there are airports. Definitely. And as long as the main mall is standing. I haven't been in an airport (laughs) since the Obama administration. That's not true. I picked you up at an airport once. Yeah. Albany. Yeah. Yeah. We went to Buca de Peppo. Yep. Buca de Peppo. That was a good Christmas. Yeah. I've lived a life, Alex. 
what what is the the like what does the, what do you think this movie does is this movie saying anything outside of just like take this little journey it's fun i think all this movie is saying hey lesbians guess what we got for you we got you a little we got you a little candy bag right here and yeah. nothing will break your teeth and if you have any allergies don't worry about them and you can like set your sleep timer on your phone because you're just going to go to a little dreamland. What a perfect little night we're having. I think it's nice just to have a, a gay movie that is this inconsequential. Mm-hmm. It's not even a coming out story. There's not really a, I appreciate that there's not like a coming out moment. One of my favorite scenes in this movie is the random grocery store scene. Yeah. If you can remember oh, yeah. where it's a lot of fun in the sense that and for me, as a as a gay woman, that conversation you have with your gay friend about the person you should not be into or person you are into, but that whole like dishing and just giving each other shit with like your queer bestie, you know, it's it's a fun little moment for me, like to see that on film of like just someone giving you a hard But I mean, we can all relate to giving your, your bestie a hard time about whoever it is they're into. But I thought that was a lot of fun where they're walking down the aisle and this is I can't believe the most unbelievable part of this movie is not someone leaving their husband for a florist. <laughs> what is unbelievable to me is that any husband and wife that are that close of friends would wait that long to tell the other person the woman you invited is a lesbian isn't just to like laugh at Cooper. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the fact that she found out in the grocery store like two days later, I'm like, I would right. have told her that in the bathroom. Right. And also when you live with someone, the second you have news about anything, yeah, it's like material. Yeah, this is goss. This is hot goss. You're always running out of material. Yeah. So like the fact that when he's like, she's gay and, and, and she's like, oh, she's gay. I'm like, oh, that's the moment she really Oh, I'm into this. Mm. I'm into her. The one thing, like, and I know that this was kind of, this ended up being inconsequential for how big of a moment it was in the movie, but his name is Heck, right? Yeah. The, the guy. Heck can't talk at his own wedding. <laughs> That's correct. Heck at the wedding. Everyone does their speeches, and then the the best man's like, "All right, it's he's been dreading it, but it's hex time. Get on up and talk about why you love this woman and this fucking asshole who's not. He's very sweet, the mm-hmm. whole thing or whatever. But he gets up and he can't say it, he probably has like anxiety or something, but like he can't say anything about her. And then it is her job to get up and speak on his behalf about what he loves about her, and. You know, lesbian proclivities or not, that's a thing that should be unpacked, maybe. It seems like a red flag. If at your own wedding, you have nothing to say about it. (laughs) Well, especially because his job, we then learn, involves like Wolf of Wall Street type (laughs) gem calls where you're like hard selling people on dodgy stocks or whatever it is. Clearly lying. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, all right, so you are good at speaking then. (laughs) You could do this. Why did it to you? He needs to go to Toastmasters. Because it was convenient for the plot. And it's also setting up why it was necessary for her to run away with a lesbian, yeah. you know, who's who's very verbal, right? Luce is never right. stumped by any question, as we learned by the whole immovable object thing. We are a people excellent at communication. She speaks from her diaphragm. That's correct. Yeah, she's an expert. Yeah. Well, that's half the appeal. That's what we got going for us. Yeah. So, Jenna, why did you end up, you know, finally watching this if it was something that, you know you took a while to come around to because there's a world in which you could have never seen it. That would have been terrible. I'm one of those people who came out like later in life. It had like a kind of a traumatic, not traumatic. That's that's dramatic. But like it was my own coming out was uh, really delayed by a stunted young adulthood. And I was just so terrified of being gay. Our listeners would never do any of that. <laughs> yeah, it's just <laughs> I mean, I really do feel like uh like a lot of queer stories are isolation stories. And I'm a, a woman that after college worked in the corporate world for a couple of years and then quit my job and ran away to a farm on the side of a mountain and took up a lot of what now just seems like a manic pile of obsessions because I was, I think I was so terrified of coming out that I learned how to harness and work with draft horses and I learned how to milk dairy goats and make cheese and I learned how to train. Yeah, you learned how to do a lot of the gayest shit, really. <laughs> yeah, I learned how to like, I, yeah, I was an archery instructor. I should have been giving a merit badge for these. Like it was You're just playing with birds. <laughs> yeah, I got, I'm a fal- I got my falconry license. I mean, what could, come on. Yes, and what does Piper Parabo do in Lost and Delirious? Falconry. I know. I have seen clips of this movie and have never watched it. 
it's very traumatic because the falconer does not survive. Yeah. You're doing gay stuff. And then like, do you go down to the variety store and they have one copy of this in a like $2.99 bin? Like, Price chopper, baby. <laughs> no, when I finally was, there was a moment where like the dam broke in the sense that once I accepted who I was, I was like, oh, I have like 25 years of media to catch up on when I was, because I used, I used to purposely avoid any, if this movie existed, I think my brain would have blacked it out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think I wouldn't even have computed it. So to quote Quentin Crisp in the celluloid closet, I'm so glad I don't like peas because if I liked peas, I would eat them and I hate them. It's the same reason I won't read Marie Kondo's organization book. Like, I'm not ready for that information. You don't yeah. need that. <laughs> I'm not, like, I'm not yeah. I like your junk. Don't read that book. <laughs> so you're like, if I if I get too close to this, I have to. I have to catch up on 25 years of media. I just, I just knew I was gay and I didn't want to deal with it. So I put off watching anything. I never watched the L word until my thirties. And so when I finally gave myself permission to just enjoy this kind of content, I was so thirsty for it that this was the first movie I saw that didn't involve someone throwing themselves off a building. To be fair, there aren't that many of them. It's kind of a needle in a haystack type situation, which you're the only one of our guests who can speak to that personally. (laughs) If you can't find a needle in a haystack, just lay down. (laughs) Yeah, just roll around a little bit. It'll find you. (laughs) That's the saw approach. (laughs) Yeah, darling, I uh, I'm a. I'm not here in defense of this movie. I'm not interested in that. That's I am. I'm in defense of it. I think it's great. I don't think anyone would need to. You're just not getting any objectivity out of me. Oh, no, this is not an objectivity show, nor should anyone claim to that. That's what Siskel and Ebert did. And they let a lot of good ones go by. Yeah. And don't you think the movies or the movies that really touch us, it's it's really a it's a dice throw of what it is that comes into our life and what we give ourselves permission to fully accept or just enjoy. Mm. I mean, there are, I'm, I've listened to other episodes where folks are like, well, maybe I shouldn't have liked this movie, but I did it this time. And this part of it really spoke to me. And what spoke to me and imagine me and you was that I could have a happy future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wish that the girl who just graduated college when this movie came out had seen this movie and hadn't been so terrified of it. And what I love about my relationship to this movie is that When I watched it, I felt as emotionally mature as I would have been graduating college Hmm. because I was going through dating for the first time. And I think about couples like straight couples I know that are in happy relationships and marriages with someone they've known like after 20 years of dating. You know, they started dating at 15 Mm -hmm. and they met their love of their life at 35. And I'm like... God damn it. I started dating at like 36, you know, like I feel like I have so much to catch up on. And I think just seeing this movie where love can strike at any moment, I think there was hope in that. And oh, yeah. Love is like a black mamba. (laughs) (laughs) That's a telling phrase. (laughs) But true. Yeah. We're always doing telling phrases over here. (laughs) It can strike at any moment. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Did you do you mind if I ask Jenna, did you were you dating straight? Or just not engaging? I was never interested. Straighting, if you will. Yeah, I was not interested in men. And I just was like, oh, like, I guess I'm just asexual or I guess I'm just just not interested. Or I just told myself the same thing a lot of queer people say, which is like, well, if it's the right guy, I'll know. And there was Mm -hmm. a lot of nice men and not a lot, but I... The men that (laughs) were interested in me were very kind and lovely people, but I just... I just felt nothing. And I was like, I knew why. And, And I think... I think that the answer is like people only go as far as they can go mm-hmm. at certain points mm-hmm. in their life. And yeah. it was easier for me to avoid dating and be like, I'm busy starting this farm from scratch. I'm publishing books. I'm I'm getting my, my voice out there. I'm focusing on my writing career. I'm focusing on the farm. When you live in the middle of nowhere and you've dedicated your life to your backyard, it's real easy to hide from the <laughs> dating mm-hmm. world. And I use that as an excuse. And as much as the farm like isolated me from a lot. It also forced me to deal with a lot of stuff that I would not have dealt with. Because if I had met like, if I had met my Hector, my heck guy at 22, I would have absolutely married him because I didn't know shit about myself at 22, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I just think the real gift of coming out later in life is that I know exactly who I am and exactly what I'm looking for as far as like happiness or a relationship. And I can be that person, that adult person. And watching this movie feels like watching 
a ditzy kid sister stumble around in the dark and like still end up on her feet, like kissing someone. So I'm like, it's just, um, it's just a sweet little part of my life. And I think when I put it on, it's like putting on the Gilmore girls or like putting on the Lion King or something I've seen a thousand times, just movies that we love, regardless how stupid they are, they become the backgrounds of our lives. They're like little anchor points. And the fact that this came out when I came out, Mm. like this movie came into my life when I was coming out. So I feel like if I ever run into this director, I will have nothing to talk about involving Mamma Mia, but I could really, (laughs) I could really ask him some questions about filming in London. Have you seen Mamma Mia too? Darling, I haven't. It's one of the best movies that it's ever been. I'm not kidding. It really is so good. Are you pulling my leg? No, it's amazing. It's better than Mamma Mia. And it's, without exaggeration, one of my favorite movies of all time. Do I need to have seen the original Mamma Mia? No. No. I never, I didn't see it. I didn't see the first time. I didn't see it before either. This is like me and Puss in Boots. (laughs) Jenna, it's so good. I'll watch it tonight. Oh my God, you'll have so much fun. You will laugh, you will cry. Totally. That is a promise. (laughs) This one just opens with Lily James being a delight and then you just get more delightful people the whole time and it ends with one of the most delightful people on the planet. It's like a jukebox musical, right? Yes. Yeah, we're not looking for anything deep. No, it's deep. <laughs> so how interesting that th- that was the same writer and director as this movie. And it's your favorite movie. It's what it truly, no exaggeration, one of my favorite movies. Of one all of your favorite movies. We like Frost. Yeah. Yeah. So that guy had to cook for 12 years. It's like not for the same reasons and all the all the great reasons that you brought up. But it was just like an exact right time, right place movie on top of being a delight. It's your pitch perfect. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm picking up what you're putting down. You get it. Yeah. Aka, excuse me. I love I love pitch perfect too, as flawed as it is. That was another coming out movie. I remember watching that and being like, I don't think I'm into Anna Kendrick for the reasons that I thought I was into Anna Kendrick. Yeah. <laughs> we learn as we go, right? We sure do. Yeah. We get new data. <laughs> we do. That's, that's all that data. Well, and I mean, Jenna, do you feel like you were, because for me, it was a little bit distracting that it's like, it's very normalized in mainstream society for girls to just be obsessed with other girls. Yes. You know, very confusing. And it gets dismissed, I think, as just something you're going to grow out of. And what if you're like, I'm 35 and I haven't grown out of it. Yeah, I think just because women are socialized to be so much more open and comfortable around our own uh, gender that we just, I mean, I can remember a thousand sleepovers where people are doing like massage chains and I'm having little panic attacks. Like I should not be touching these people. Like, you know, like, <laughs> this would not be allowed at catechism, but I just, um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I think we're really taught to just be like, oh, these are your girls and these are the boys and these girls are your best friends until they become your mortal enemies. And the girls are childhood and the boys are adulthood and you're born into the country of girls and then one day you must leave forever and buy a bunch of shit from home goods. Yeah, I fell for it. I was very confused. But um, eventually, I think if you you slog it out long enough, you figure it out or you die. Either way, it ends. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you just wrote a valentine yeah i should work at hallmark so alex jenna's farm is is just over the state line from vermont but is it fair to say that she's a new englander in her heart what are you in new york i am four and a half hours from new york city but technically in new york yes yeah this is some real new england shit i am very close to bennington vermont i'm very close oh yeah i'm an hour north yeah, of yeah. albany about it's that weird little corner yeah you have that that certainly that Southern Vermont darkness, which is nice. Oh, this is just a house that overhead lighting. Oh, no, I mean <laughs> spiritual darkness. Yeah, of spirit. <laughs> oh, oh, right here. Yeah, right here in my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm also, our family's from like Transylvania. I got an email today from Bennington College asking me to write a letter to like a Bennington student, like from an alum, because they're coming back from their winter volunteer rumspringa thing. And I was like, what on earth would I write to a Bennington student? What wisdom have I gained in the half a lifetime since I was one? I think what I'd probably say is avoid yeast infections, Jimmy Dugan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a hard thing. Like the best advice. Watch Imagine Me and You. You might be a lesbian. Yeah, save yourself some time. Our marketing campaign now for the shows should just be you write one-on-one letters to Bennington students. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we get the word out. 
<laughs> yeah, that's how we got the crucial, yeah, the crucial Bennington demographic on a lock. Fantastic. Oh They're there. They're hungry for it. They can't wait. Uh, you should write a letter. Give people some advice. What would you what would you say? Really think look look into Sarah Marshall's eyes at that age. And yeah. what would you tell her? Not to even to quote succeed or whatever, but what would you tell to give her like a, a modicum more of whatever you needed? I would tell them follow your obsessions. They will not lead you astray. If he wanted to, he would. <laughs> and um, have more fun, you idiot. <laughs> that sounds lovely. Yeah, someone needs to hear that. Someone in Bennington really needs to hear that right now. Yeah. I was really, I was really pleased. Our, my my brother, brother-in-law went to, is at USC this year. And we went to the, we went to his like convocation. It sounds crazy that they call it that because of, royal stuff but the um whoever was talking like at the usc level at the school sort of admin level was like if you are trying to decide like a seventh hour of study in a day or go to a party go to a party yeah like go hang and i was like huh it's college. The point is for you to meet kids whose parents own corporations, not yes. to get good grades. That's the exactly grade part right. is over. You're done. In, at USC in particular, yes. I I do um I do wish someone had told me that, but I I found that advice on my own. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> I was like, I'll go to the party. Alex, what advice would you give to your college age self? Find treatment for ADHD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't do it until I uh, was 23. And I don't know what it would have changed, but it, I think that there were a number of things I did consciously or unconsciously to make up for whatever that gap was. And it mm -hmm. maybe would have been a healthier approach than the ones that I took in. Right. Yeah, that's a great one. Jenna, what is what is yours? Yeah, Jenna. What I would have told myself in college? Yeah. Yeah. What, what advice would you give college you? If you have to write a Bennington letter to yourself. If I had heard a Bennington letter, it would be a Kutztown University letter to me. I went to an, a, a state school in the middle of like Amish, Pennsylvania. So there's like, you know, buggies and cows was my college experience <laughs> and antiquing. Um, I was super lame. I was like a closeted lesbian. And I think what I would tell myself... Cause I was so in the closet, I wasn't even considering sexuality or dating. And I was so obsessed with thinking I was hideous every day. And I looked mm -hmm. like a regular human woman, like just, mm -hmm. you know, almost amazingly mundane and how I looked like not super tall, not super short, not super big, not super small. Like I would just tell myself that you're beautiful. I would just sort of like tell myself like, hey, I've been around for an extra 21 years and I just would like you to know that you're you're absolutely beautiful. Mm. And I would just let myself feel a little more comfortable in my own skin, which sounds so, I'm not trying to sound narcissistic. I just mean, no. had no. I not gone no. through life no. ashamed of everything about myself, I, mm -hmm. I really related to what you said, Alex, like there's information you could have had when you were 23 with ADHD that maybe would have changed the wiring in your brain. Maybe you wouldn't have to cut certain things in an emergency or mm -hmm. I don't know, there could have been like a more wholesome connection to growing up. And I think had I not been so uh, distracted by self-loathing so late mm -hmm. into my life, I, I'm like, wow, I could have well, I wouldn't be Taylor Swift, but I could easily be like... Who wants to be Taylor Swift at this stage in the game? You don't want QAnon conspiracy theories about you. Yeah. Uh, nobody. Nobody. Dear, let's don't even get me started. I have a life I have to live. I just think <laughs> like, um, I'm very happy. There's no one in the world I want to trade places with. That's how I feel about my life. Mm. I'm in. I'm mm. passionately in love with it. However, I just think about where I could be in life had I not been so holding myself back. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's most people looking at their back, their past, though. Totally. No, that's going to resonate. That's going to resonate. Big. I mean, like, so every every week we do the show and in the intro, I say, don't forget that you, my friend, are good. And I say it like to the audience member and the amount of people that that resonates with, because I think we all need someone to just be like, it's it's OK. It's more OK than you think, honestly. You know, everything you just said resonated with me deeply. And I, I feel like I wish I could have said the same to me. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, narcissism is about shame. Look at Trump, one of the most pure specimens of narcissism we have available to us. The man does not feel good about himself, right? His need <laughs> yeah. to assert insert himself yep. into every situation, no matter the fate of every other human being on the planet, it, that, that comes from like a deep wound, yeah, you know? It sure does. So the quest to sort of value yourself enough to heal yourself mm-hmm. has nothing to do with narcissism. Yeah. It's the opposite of it, in fact, which... I feel like I know that I also get lost when I'm thinking about my own healing and the distinction of like, if I stop second guessing every single thought and idea that I have, everyone might die. And that's just not true. It won't happen unless you're Trump, in which case, why are you listening to a queer millennial movie podcast? Thanks for listening. Donald. I mean, yeah, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) What a sweetheart. I knew we had it in him. Thanks for taking time out of your day. Um, <laughs> Can you imagine? Well, we know mm-hmm. that Giles—is it Giles? I've never seen Buffy mm-hmm. the Vampire Slayer. Giles. We know that Giles from Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a father in this movie. Correct. Who, in your view, Jenna, is the daddy of this movie? The daddy of this movie. I mean, Lucy's the daddy of this movie. She mm-hmm. walks into frame and takes over an entire marriage, <laughs> and still keeps her flower business. I mean, but like. <laughs> Like, like she's the daddy. Um, but I think the most like fatherly figure, like as far as in that sense is, um, I, I, I would give it to Giles that he does that speech where he, like basically his daughter just comes out and ruins a wedding. I assume that they had paid for that looked huge and exciting <laughs> with a tent and a DJ. And so I assume, and a punch bowl. So I assume <laughs> when he sat down and like, was like, if my shitty wife ever found anyone she actually loved I'd let her go you know that that I'm paraphrasing but that's the speech and um I was like well it's he's, he's basically saying we love you no matter what and go get your girl and that just that could actually be the moment in the movie I'm the most touched by not even the relationship the fact that her family is just like yeah okay this is new information but we're gonna redo Notting Hill let's get going Ba-na-na-na-na. <laughs> We'll be as excited as our national disposition will let us be. Uh, I'm going to go with the bonus, the spare child, the bonus, the girl (laughs) who asks questions. Mm -hmm. Excellent choice. (laughs) I was this kid. I was a asker of impossible questions all the time. She also created an amazing romantic atmosphere during that presentation on space. (laughs) She sure did. That's great. A lot of grazing, a lot of hands close. Um, I, I, yeah, I like, I like, I, I like a kid that asks questions. Those are my favorite kind. I like a kid that asks weird questions and impossible questions. They always make every situation better. Were you a kid that also had like random adults you invited out to go on adult dates with, like to the museum and movies? Oh God, I, I pursued adult friendships yeah. from the time I was walking. Like I did not care about other kids Mm -hmm. i wanted to be accepted and loved by grown-ups in ways that is uh both wholesome and eventually in my teenage pretty troubling (laughs) kids are a beat scene man you're better off oh that's that's true what about you sarah (laughs) who was your daddy my daddy is waking the dead's sue johnston who plays luce's mother and they have a really lovely scene together where luce you know doesn't want to break up the marriage and She's doing a classic lesbian period drama thing and deciding to privilege propriety over her own happiness. And she's like, when dad left, he didn't break you heart, your heart. And her mom's like, it mended. Yeah. You know? And like, if there is a theme in this movie, it's maybe there's like an eighth of a theme, which is, you know, isn't fidelity and the promises and the vows we make more important than our ultimate happiness? And the answer is No. no. <laughs> And you know what's interesting is that there's a scene where Luce is in the flower shop and like framed looking out the front window is the store across the street who and on the sign it says Princess of Wales. And is that a theme? Diana, love and happiness over propriety? I believe so. I hope it is. We have found a theme. Seacrest out. Hey, Mama Mia came 12 years later. You don't know what this man was capable of. (laughs) <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. 
Jenna, how do people find find more of you once they're delighted by this exchange? Do you have a Substack, Jenna? Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, I um, if you're interested in reading the musings of a lesbian who came out later in life and homesteading, farming, falconry, and fishing, I've been building up a Substack. It's Cold Antler Farm is the name of it. That's also the name of my farm. It's pretty active and keeping me busy and we're slowly building it up. But yeah, it's mostly topics of later in life, kind of like finding love. And um, I just appreciate you guys having me on here to talk about this silly movie. It was the best. We love it. Thank you so much for bringing it to us. I had a wonderful time. Oh, thanks, darling. Yeah, thank you, Jenna. (laughs) Better late than never. All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Thanks so much to Jenna Wogenrich for joining us in this conversation. Don't forget to check out Jenna's books. Don't forget to check out Jenna's newsletter. All of that will be linked in the show notes. I uh, am grateful for y'all. Thanks for coming. Thanks for showing up every week. Thanks to Miranda Zickler for producing and editing this episode. Miranda, you make the whole thing possible, truly. And we appreciate you for that. Thanks to Fresh Lesh for providing the beats that make our episode sound so sweet. We appreciate you, Lesh. Thank you for being here. Thank you for following us on the socials media. Thanks for supporting us on Apple podcast subscriptions and Patreon, where you get bonus episodes in exchange for your support. We appreciate that. Thanks for telling your friends about the show that you know and love. Thanks for uh, being you. And don't forget that you, my friend, you are good. We appreciate you. Thanks for being here. 